All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Joshua. We're in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Anybody get the Lamore Advance? See the nice article they did on our chaplain's program in uh, the Lamore Advance? One person gets the Lamore Advance. Okay. This is why we don't do too much advertising in the paper. Uh, you can go online, though, and, and uh, they uh, wrote a very nice article about the Lamore Police Department chaplain's program that I'm involved with, so that'd be a good read for you this afternoon. <laughs> Here I am trying to help you, and, uh, well, okay, look, the Angels don't play till tonight, so there's no other baseball games, really, that you're interested in. Uh, I don't, is, I guess it's football season, right? Go dogs, right? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. They lost in overtime last night, didn't they, the Bulldogs? Oh, well. Rough. The Hanford High football team is undefeated. They got a great team. They're expected to win the conference, right? Huh? Huh? All right. Uh, I, I am an Angels fan. I'm in like some kind of a depression right now, you know, because they've been beaten twice at Anaheim by Boston, and I don't see really any hope that they're going to win three games in a row against the Red Sox, especially in Boston, two of them. So um, I'll just be sad all day today until it's over. But right now we're here to study God's word. We're way off track. The whole the more advanced thing got me. I mean, I just still can't believe only one person. Maybe somebody should call the paper and let them know that their circulation is down. Uh, and that one person is in Hanford. So I don't know how that works out. Joshua chapter 15 verses 13 through 19 is our text. The topic, Caleb offers his daughter in marriage to whoever will attack Debir and slay its occupants. The title of our message, the family that slays together, stays together. <laughs> nice. Verse 13. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? She answered, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Let's pray together. Lord, we're always blessed to open your word and I pray that today we would have a real sense of anticipation that you're going to speak to us through it, from it. Uh, you tell us in it, Lord, that it's alive and powerful. And as we encounter it as believers, we see that that is true. Our hearts, Lord, are drawn to concepts and principles and ideas that are uh, there in the word as it's being read, as we reread it during the morning study and as your Holy Spirit brings it to our hearts. Though we want to gain knowledge and understand 
information, Lord, about this passage. We mostly want to see how much you loved Caleb and his family and how much you therefore love us and our families, our family of believers and our individual families. And may we, Lord, just enjoy that love this morning and then leave this place sharing that love with others, both in the family of God and those outside who desperately need to come to know you as their Savior before the things that you have planned for this earth wrap up. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. Family values is a term you're hearing a lot in this election year. Everyone is for family values. I haven't heard anybody come out and say that they're against them. But whose family is considered the standard? About 15 years ago, there was a movie titled in a play on words, Adam's Family Values. The tagline was, the family just got a little stranger. It was based, of course, on the Adams Family TV series that chronicled the misadventures of a very creepy, kooky, mysterious, and kooky, altogether ooky family. <laughs> the Adams Family. Our text presents Caleb as a family man passing on his spiritual values both to his tribe and to his immediate family. In Caleb, we see a godly man revealed by his example and promote by his expectations his spiritual values. That's going to be our lesson. It is to realize that every day our family and our friends and really anyone watching sees what we truly actually value in our example and in our expectations. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you reveal what you value by your example. And number two, you promote what you value by your expectations. First of all, in verses 13 and 14, you reveal what you value by your example. See if you recall this lyric. A child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. You know that they are the opening lyrics of the Harry Chapin classic, Cats in the Cradle. The father who never quite had enough time to spend with his son produced a son just like him. The father's bad example to his son revealed what he truly valued in life. Like it or not, you example your values every day. All the more reason to strive to be a Caleb and to value things that are essentially spiritual. Joshua had led the Israelites over the Jordan into the promised land. They fought and overcame the inhabitants for a period of seven years. The land was secure, but not settled. It was time for each tribe to receive their inheritance and settle their portion. As Joshua was about to begin distributing the land by casting lots, starting with the tribe of Judah, Caleb stepped forward and demanded he first be given the land promised to him by God through Moses 45 years earlier. Joshua happily granted his request. That was the subject of our study last week. Now we're skipping ahead in chapter 15 to finish the story of Caleb's conquest of the land he was promised. In verse 13, Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. If you read through the entire chapter 15, you can't help but see Caleb as an example to his tribe. 
We saw in our last study that Hebron was in many ways the most difficult portion of the land to possess. It was mountainous with fortified cities. The sons of Anak lived there. They were giants among men who struck fear into the hearts of the Israelites. Not to mention that Caleb was 85 years old. Now, you might want to say he was 85 years young, but he was 85, no matter how you count it. And the, uh, he and Joshua, the oldest among them. Caleb would show the tribe of Judah and the other tribes, for that matter, that God would help them finish the task of settling their lands. Uh, maybe he knew it, maybe he didn't, but in stepping forward... And taking his land and going in to settle it, he was setting the example. Verse 14, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. In chapter 11, we were told that the Israelite army had conquered Hebron and Debir. They did not, however, leave garrisons behind to keep those areas secure. Sometime after the land was conquered, but before the land was distributed, these three sons of Anak, these giants, returned to Hebron and they dug in. The land was conquered. It had not been settled. More warfare was required. That is a great summary depiction of the Christian life. Jesus Christ has conquered every enemy on the cross. He conquered Satan. On the cross, he conquered sin on the cross. He conquered death on the cross. And there's nothing that can separate us now from the love of Christ, which is the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. They are all defeated enemies. But as a Christian, you and I must settle in his promises by engaging in spiritual warfare to dispossess those enemies because they tend to creep back and dig in. It's true that Satan is a defeated foe, but he is alive and well and living on planet Earth, creating a lot of havoc. It's true that sin was crucified on the cross with Jesus. Nevertheless, I still have a flesh and I still am prone to sin. Uh, and so every day I am a soldier in an ongoing warfare to continue to settle in this conquered promised land that the Lord has given me. Uh, and so it's a very good depiction of that life. Caleb engaged the enemy and drove them out. He was the example for his tribe and really for all the tribes. If Caleb could do it in the Lord's strength, then so could they. And when we think of these Bible heroes, we need to think of them the way James in the New Testament thought of Elijah, the prophet, where he just bluntly said, Elijah was a man of like passions with us, which is his way of saying Elijah was just like you and I. God used him in a unique way, but he essentially was just like you and I. He was a human being who uh, dedicated his heart and life to the Lord, and the Lord used him and empowered him and strengthened him. And so Caleb, uh, you know, obviously we could say a lot of things about Caleb, in terms of his uh, commitment to the Lord and all, but he's just a man of like passions as we are. And he becomes an example. Uh, and, you know, if the oldest guy could take the most difficult land against the hardest enemies, then why not me? 
Why not now? And that's a great way of encountering these Bible heroes. Now, his actions and attitudes towards the promises of God reveal what that man of God valued. He valued, obviously, faith and obedience. He valued the word of God because it was the word that God had spoken to him 45 years earlier. He valued the leading of God and the lot that God had chosen for him. He was led to that area and he didn't want a, an easier area or a different area. He valued uh, what God had given him. And it's obvious he valued his brothers and sisters in Israel. He had fought with them against their foes and he was willing to be an example for them. And we could go on and on. You might summarize it by saying that Caleb valued what God valued. And that's a good way of putting it because as we read through the Word of God and develop ideas about what God values, then we can adopt that value set as our values. Nothing more and nothing less. I don't want to value anything that God doesn't value. I don't want to not value something that God uh, values. And so... That's where we're at as well. Now, an application for us, at least one application, and the one I want to make this morning is this. My attitudes and especially my actions reveal what I truly value. Regardless what I might say or think, how I act on a daily, weekly, monthly, lifetime basis, that is going to reveal what I valued. Here's an exercise. If a total stranger were to analyze my conduct and my conversation, what would he conclude that I truly valued? A total stranger, objectivity, just looking at my life day after day after day, year after year until I come to the end of my life, what would that person say were the values that I held? Uh, and all of us could do that. Now, it's hard to be objective. Objectivity, uh, we all like to think we're objective, uh, but objectivity towards ourselves is really very difficult. Uh, sometimes we ask others. If you're brave enough, you might ask somebody else to analyze you. And if somebody asks you to analyze them, be very careful because chances are they don't really want you to tell them the truth. Uh, and uh, you might measure your friendship before you do that. You know, I've, I've had the unpleasant experience many times because of the ministry of having to say certain things to people about, you know, what I've observed in their life. And uh, it can be, uh, uh, well, it doesn't always go very well. Uh, I'm pretty good about people coming to me, you know. Uh, I remember a guy in San Bernardino, what was it he said? It was terrible, really. He took me out to breakfast. I think he said, now I don't want you to, don't want you to agree with him, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and, and he took me out to breakfast just to tell him. I thought we were just having breakfast. So well, I've uh, brought you here to tell you something. I go, okay. And he goes, he goes, you know, you come across as being arrogant. I go, oh, okay. I say, I could see where you get that. And he said, yeah, see, just like now. I said, well, I said, what do you want me to do? You want me to get all hurt and wounded? You want me to cry? I cry if you want me to. I said, but I'm not going to, you know, and stuff. so he hated me even more after that. But no, actually, we went on to be friends. But, you know, some people can uh, take constructive criticism. Some t people can take non-constructive criticism, which is what I get most of the time. Uh, and uh, but be careful. The ob you know, personal objectivity is tough. Other people being objective about you is tough. You have a tendency to disagree with them immediately. Hey, tell me what, what do you see in me? And you tell that's not true. How do you see that? What kind of a friend are you? So, but as much as you are able, 
asking the Lord to help you think about, you know, construct some total stranger in your mind. And and you can look at your life and say, okay, now, based on my behaviors during the day and, and week and years, what really would somebody say I value? Doesn't mean every moment of every day is an obviously spiritual activity. Doesn't mean you go to church, uh, you know, and then go to afternoon church and then evening church and then just watch church on the internet all the time. Because then a person would say, you're a little bit off, you know, you, you know, you, you, you value, because uh, you're not really doing anything for God. But so you understand it, it's not just a matter of, of that. The scripture says that whatever you do, you're to do it how? As unto the Lord. And so it doesn't mean all of your activities are overtly spiritual, but it means all of your activities are filled with some sort of spiritual underpinnings or impact. Uh, And just be honest. I mean, I, you know, I think all of us, if we're honest in this and objective, we'll see that there are some areas of our life where somebody would say, I have no idea. I would have no idea from this part of your life that you have any knowledge of God whatsoever or any spirituality. Because this this area just seems so out of sorts with I don't even see how this could be done as unto the Lord. Maybe, maybe not. uh, But uh, I think it's a good exercise. And it's because I'm looking at Caleb and I think, man, this guy, he was dialed in. He was locked in. He only wanted what God wanted. Uh, And he was willing to sacrifice for it, to wait for it, to fight for it. Whatever it took, he was on the same page with the Lord. I'd like to think that someone would conclude that I valued only what God valued, and that would be our goal. Now, you not only reveal what you value by your example, you promote what you value by your expectations of others. And this is what we see in verses 15 through 19. These verses show Caleb as a dad, and a great dad he was. Like any good dad, he wanted the best for his little girl. For him, that meant what was spiritually best for her. He wanted her to marry someone who had a zeal to serve the Lord. So after he conquered Hebron, he designed a challenge for her future husband that would show his heart for the Lord. Verse 15, then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksa, my daughter as wife. Now, Caleb understood the times in which he lived and in which the next generation would live. The land was conquered, but it wasn't settled. Battles were yet to be fought that would establish each tribe and each family in their individual inheritance. The best man for his daughter would be someone who was on fire for God and was in that flow. Now, in the tribal culture of the Israelites, it seems that the father had a great deal of input into who his daughter would marry. It sounds almost barbaric to us that Caleb offered his daughter as some sort of a war prize. But really, everything we know about Caleb is positive. I think it's safe to say he was a good father. And beyond his desire that uh, Aksa marry well spiritually, it's at least possible that she and Othniel not only already knew each other, but were already in love. Obviously, they knew each other. As we'll see in a minute, they were related Uh, Besides that, you know, they were all hanging out together as Israelites conquering the land. Uh, And and there's no reason to think that he comes out of nowhere. You guys that are dads, you know, you're trying to protect your little girl all the time and you're weeding guys out. 
Your daughter comes and says, I don't know where that guy, he said he'd stop by this afternoon. Well, you, you slid his tires, you know, three hours earlier. Because you don't want her to have anything to do with that guy. I mean, you're on top of that. And so, you know, I, you know Caleb's not crazy. And it, I think, you know, it, since we don't know, what's to say that they, they didn't, weren't already in love with one another? Uh, and, and this is kind of rhetorical in that sense. At any rate, he's being a good dad. Caleb's request was not unusual, wasn't unattainable. In fact, it was very normal. All he wanted was for Othniel to show that he had a true walk with God. Everyone was being called upon to settle their portion by conquest. And so this was the basic spirituality of the age in which they lived. If you were a dad in those days with your daughter's best interest in mind, you'd want a spouse for her who was engaged in that work. In that day, it was the work of warfare. Today, we might look at other criteria, church attendance, spiritual gifts, service to the Lord, things like that. You don't want to be in the position of having to convince yourself some guy or gal might really be spiritual, even though you don't see any trace of it in their lives whatsoever. I've seen this before uh, with couples and and, uh, whether it's young couples or older couples, um, you know, you eventually have to ask that question, is that person a Christian? Is the person you're interested in a Christian? And, and, uh, and a lot of times you get a very apologetic answer. Well, yeah, they say they're a Christian, but they haven't been to church in 20 years. They got burned out on the church. They this, they that. And, and so the truth is, I'm not saying a person isn't a Christian, but the truth is, if you were objective and just looked at their example, there would be nothing in their life to suggest on any level that they have a walk with the Lord. Uh, and, and I just think that's dangerous uh, in setting up a spiritual household. Uh, you're starting on a bad foundation. Marriage is tough in any culture and in any times. Good times are bad. There are stresses and struggles. The bottom line is this. Both spouses must first be submitted to God or they will not be likely to submit to one another. If you're married, you know that it's a process of mutual submission as two become one. If you're not already submitted to the Lord, it's really, really hard to have a reason to submit to someone else, especially when, as the husband, you're right all the time. I'm sorry. Bad joke. But, you know, I'm the king of bad jokes, and, uh, you know, what works for me, I stick with it. So anyway, uh, you understand what I'm saying. If you're looking for a spouse, it's obviously critical that they be a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't even bother with non-believers. Hand them a tract. Invite them to church. Uh, somebody interested in you, they want to date you, you know they're not a Christian. Tell them, tell them you'd love to, to uh, go out on a first encounter with them. Uh, ask them if they'll meet you at a coffee shop on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. <laughs> at 1900 North Dowdy. And, uh, and just hang out there and see if they show up. And when they go to the church... Well, so of course, this is a church because I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Ah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you get my you catch my drift, as it were. Now, I think you should go beyond merely asking a person, are you a Christian? I mean, I know the feeling you're, you're really, you know, I, I, I know how it is when you're, you know, when romance is involved, you're, you're, you're excited and you go, hey, are, are you a Christian? Well, yeah. Oh, oh. 
And this like amazing wave of joy comes over you. Oh, he's a Christian. Well, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means anymore. What does their example show about just how much they love the Lord? Are they living for the Lord? How important are spiritual pursuits to them? These are very important questions. Verse 17. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Axa, his daughter, as wife. Kenaz was Caleb's brother. Othniel was the son of Kenaz and the nephew of Caleb. He and Axa, therefore, were cousins. So they ended up being kissing cousins, we would say, <laughs> which was the worst Elvis movie ever. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> some guys trying to sell an Elvis museum for $8,000 on eBay, for those of you who are interested. Uh, anyway, it was not a sin to marry your cousin. I just, I, don't you love, I love useless information. Uh, it just, you know... It makes me feel alive again to just have my mind filled with useless information. Uh, now, it wasn't a sin to marry your cousin, especially in a tribal culture like Israel. Let me ask this, and you don't have to answer, but I, I, I want to ask. Anybody here married to your cousin? Okay, good. Because I wouldn't have wanted to marry any of my cousins, but I don't want to offend anybody. You know, I mean, if you're... Married to your cousin, more power to you. But um, there are many famous cousin couples in history. Let me just give you a few. John Adams and Abigail Smith were cousins. Johann Sebastian Bach and Maria Barbara Bach were cousins. Albert Einstein and Elsa Lowenthal were cousins. Jesse James and Zerelda Mims were married cousins. Thomas Jefferson and Martha Wales and, of course, uh, the one most people know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt. So lots of, lots of kissing cousin couples uh, in the history of human beings. Uh, so I only mention all this because people say, oh, the Bible, you know, it's full of all this gross stuff like cousin marriage. And I'm like, well, okay, founding fathers, presidents of the United States. I mean, you know, it's, it's not unheard of. Now, we saw that Caleb was a man with solid spiritual family values. He exampled them in his own walk with God. Here we are seeing how he promoted those values to others. He set forth his expectations for them, for his daughter and for his future son-in-law in this case. Now, I think Caleb probably talked to Axa often as she was growing up about her future husband. They undoubtedly prayed together for the man God would show them was her mate and soulmate. I'm sure Caleb looked out for his little girl among the Israelites. There were undoubtedly a lot of young guys interested in her. His expectations would help narrow the field, especially if they were adopted by her and became her expectations as well. What do we expect of our children? Too often in a materialistic culture like ours, we tend to think immediately in terms of finances and education. Those are minor components. They are important on their own level, but they pale in comparison to what is best for someone spiritually. Young parents starting out should absolutely expect their sons and daughters to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You should evangelize your kids. God has given them the privilege of having Christian parent or parents lead them to faith in Jesus Christ or bring them places where someone will. You should absolutely expect them to serve the Lord as they grow. 
Their walk with God should be the most important part of their upbringing. Educational pursuits, athletic pursuits, social pursuits, and the like should always take a backseat to spiritual pursuits. You should expect them to be interested in a Christian for a spouse. And as we've seen, not just any professing Christian, but a young man or a young woman who by their actual example is living a life of submission and service to Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, that's the norm. Anything less is setting them up for a potential spiritual failure. It doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter what your career is. doesn't matter what your social network is. Uh, you know, your marriage can fail probably easier uh, if you're successful, but you lack Jesus Christ as a solid foundation. Now, there's a footnote to the story of Caleb and Aksa and Othniel. It's in verses 18 and 19, so let's take a look at it. Now, it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. On a practical level, a field with no water in an agricultural society is useless. Caleb hadn't raised Axa to be stupid. She asked, and Caleb gave her more than she asked for. The fact that he gave her more indicated or indicates rather that he wanted them to ask not just for the field, but for the water as well. So why not just give it to them from the start? Well, I think that Caleb was still being an example to them and to us. It was a spiritual example. If they wanted anything from their dad, all they had to do was ask, and he would give them not just what they asked for, but more than what they asked for. Does that sound like any dad that you know? Well, maybe this will help. It's from Luke chapter 11. Jesus is talking about our heavenly father, and he says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him, your heavenly father wants to give you the good gift of the Holy Spirit in abundance. God, the Holy Spirit is compared to water in the gospel of John, where Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. And so in the Luke passage, Jesus was talking about believers who have already been born again, asking for more of the Holy Spirit in their lives, presumably so that they can serve the Lord as his witnesses. In John, we're promised the influence and the presence of the Spirit will be like rivers of living water flowing into and through and out from us. Why then do we sometimes sense a lack of the Holy Spirit in this dimension, even after we ask? Well, I'm sure there are many answers we could give. One that is suggested by our story is this. We notice that Caleb and Othniel and Axa were all out on the front lines serving the Lord. Caleb was taking on giants in fortified mountain cities. Othniel was taking on the assault of Debir. Othniel and Axa were starting a family in territory that even though conquered, still needed settling where there was still ongoing warfare. 
They asked and they received, they asked for and more because they were busy serving the Lord. A question you might ask as a Christian, do I really need more of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Am I doing anything or wanting to do anything that actually requires more of the Holy Spirit? I do need more of the Holy Spirit if I'm going about with the understanding that God has given me fields to conquer. If I see myself as going out into the world as if it were Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world as a witness, I do when I understand my life is a full-time ministry, even though I'm not called into full-time vocational ministry, that I understand that wherever I am, it's a field that God has given me to conquer for him as unto him, so that when people look at me, they see what I value and what I value is what God values. And so get busy for God, take a step or step serving him, and he will meet you there with what you ask for and need. And more than that, more in abundance. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these things. Uh, We appreciate Caleb and now his family, his daughter and son-in-law. We want to learn from them, Lord, uh, the joy of of serving you in your strength rather than in our own strength and we want to believe that if we will walk by faith desiring lord to be your witnesses that you will give us what we ask for and more in terms of resource to accomplish that and i pray lord that we would um, not be afraid to look at our example to others and if there are any areas in any of our lives where We can't honestly say that your values are our values. We need to make an adjustment there and adopt your values. And I pray that we would promote uh, our expectations, not in a legalistic way, Lord, but in a loving way. When Caleb promoted his expectations uh, for a son-in-law, it was the most loving thing he could do for his dear little girl. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that whatever we project and promote as expectations would be done in a loving, gentle way uh, based on what is best for others, uh, what is best for them spiritually, uh, and that we could defend it from the Word of God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.